temptation to sing Lagrange is suppressed. <laughs> it's been stuck. It's been stuck in my head for like the last three days. <laughs> Walking around the house. I'm, no, I'm not going to give you a soundbite, so I'm not going to do it. Welcome to GCP Life, episode number 25 for the 14th of October, 2022. GCP Life is sponsored by Kazna. At Kazna, we make your Google Cloud solutions possible. And I'm your host, Stephen Bancroft. On today's show, what's going on at Google Next? The 2022 Dora report is out. We look at some new Google features. And what exactly is DevOps? But before we get to any of that, I'd like to welcome the co-host of the show, Dave Wall. How are you doing, Dave? I'm doing great. Thanks, mate. Um, trying to trying to fit some Google Cloud Next stuff into my schedule. This is finding be very difficult today. <laughs> very difficult. And having a bunch of last-minute stuff come and land on our desk is... Oh. Every time yeah. someone like links something like, oh, check out this cool announcement. Like, I, 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 need, to, I need some time. I'd love to. I would love to. Give me a moment. <laughs> that might be how I spend yeah, my evening. I'm look- I was hoping we'd have a few things to talk about, but honestly, I don't at the moment. I just have not had time to look at anything. Hopefully, next week we can we can really get dig into it a bit more with a bit more time to digest, soak the- some of it up. Yeah, yeah, I might get to look at some of it this afternoon, but um, right now, oh boy, yeah, there's a lot going on. <laughs> a hectic time. <laughs> yeah, I think right now, just looking at the schedule, there they're replaying the opening keynote right now. So um, yeah, I might catch a bit of that when we finish the show here. Uh, besides that, what have you been up to since we last spoke? Um, let's see. I mean, outside of work, uh, oh, I had to uh, replace um, one of my wireless APs at home. Um, I had one where it's that was actually kind of interesting. It's it's one of those uh, like Unify APs, and they can they have two different ways of being PoE powered. They have like a conformant PoE spec, and then they have like a passive PoE. I think it's 24 or 48 volts. I can't remember what. But they've, they've got this different right. specification. And, right. um, yeah. So, so is that when you've got the PoE injector or you're taking it from a switch? Yeah. Is that what so if you're yeah. using a switch, then you get the conformant spec one and then that's fine. But if you're using the injector, it also supports the, the passive way of doing it. Uh, and I actually uh, found that, yeah, one of my APs died. Um, and when I was troubleshooting, I worked out that, yeah, for some weird reason- you can't run it on PoE, but you can run it on passive PoE. It's like, I don't know, might have a different chip or something going on inside yeah. of it. Um, yeah. Yep. But anyway, so I replaced that. I managed to get uh, my hands on one of the, the new, like brand new Unify 6 Enterprise APs. But the 6 gigahertz radio, so they have three radios. They have 2.4, 5, and 6 but six isn't ratified in Australia yet, and so I can't oh, I can't no. enable that radio. So it's there. My phone yep. supports Wi-Fi six E, but <laughs> yeah, guess. right. So what'll happen? What they'll bring out a firmware with that enabled when the time comes. Yeah, once it gets ratified, then yeah, they should be able to switch yeah, that okay. on. So yeah, um, I guess it's more future proof. You might be able to. Yeah, you, oh, look, there's probably going to be a beta firmware floating around. I'd imagine. Yeah, I don't want to run afoul of the um, <laughs> no. yeah, the, spe- the spectrum <laughs> police. <laughs> Avoid any sort of warranties you may oh, have. <laughs> yeah, actually, so back in the old IT horror stories thing, uh, a company I worked for once, we had that happen 
because one of the telcos like years before had put like a repeater on site uh, to, you know, like if, if you're a very large customer, sometimes you get like a small uh, repeater to help with like uh, phone coverage within your building. A little local base station yeah, thing. Yeah. 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 Um, and uh, we had, anyway, we changed contracts and years had gone, well, like eight years had passed and they had decommissioned. I think it was one of the old three gigahertz bands that they decommissioned. <laughs> and um, mm. and then they completely forgot about the infrastructure sitting there. We weren't using it, but the box was still on. And then, yeah, one day we had a, <laughs> someone turn up at the gate and said, you're broadcasting in, you know, licensed frequencies bands. We're like- Licensed uh, space, yeah. I think I know what you're on about. And I pulled the box out. And I was like, <laughs> it's got your company name on it. It's not <laughs> this is your equipment. You can have it back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would have been when they reshuffled all the um, the frequencies and the TV station bands and, and moved them all around, gave gave a whole bunch to the telcos as well. Yeah. Uh, was, yeah, probably it's almost 10 years ago now I think that happened. All right. Uh, you know, I haven't um, – I've, re- I've really done very little in terms of tech adventures in the last fortnight. Um, yeah, I, I – I, yeah, just busy with life. Yeah, <laughs> other, other than teching stuff up. Oh, I have been building. Um, I was very excited about the uh, the office Lego set. Uh, and oh, so oh, me- here we go. <laughs> so yeah, so me and me and my wife are building that um, on the weekends, which is is good. There's so many little uh, little Easter eggs and stuff in there, like so many things from the show. It's it's really clever. So many funny things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've got some Star Wars sets to build there too. I've got to get to those. Nice. Yeah. Anyway, let's get on with the news items. All right, the 2022 Dora report is out. And um, I had to read through this. Uh, you brought this to my attention, Dave. What did you think? Yeah, so, I mean, this is great because, you know, every year they, they do this survey. It comes out. So I think they've got mm. five or six years' worth of data now, uh, seeing how yeah. you know, DevOps as a practice expanded through the industry uh, and they get sort of trends. But they also, they've added in, like, new fields. Like, this year they're doing a lot with... Um, yeah, obviously security is, is such a hot button thing, especially the whole mm. supply uh, supply chain attacks and you know, how we uh, you know how we secure ourselves against that. So um, it was interesting to see a few um, a few things that went backwards. Though that was probably the biggest thing that stood out to me in the report is that the percentage of companies who would consider themselves as elite or high performers in uh, the DevOps mm. space. So, And th- this is rated against things like how frequently you can deploy to production and, and that sort of stuff, right? But uh, like last year- They actually re- they actually removed the elite ca- categorization. Elite, elite is gone yeah. and they rolled yeah. it into high. But last yep. year, 26% of responders were elite and 40% were high. So that was that's sixty percent, sixty six percent of Dora responders. This mm. year, eleven percent high, and sixty nine percent of medium. So that's a big, big drop. And in fact, mm. um, the low tier increased from seven percent to nineteen percent. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was interesting. In the- do, do they say in this summary here how many responders all up they got? Because that could be an artifact of more people jumping in. Yes. And then the resultant is regression to the mean, which which is a statistical phenomenon, which means that everyone's going to be average. 
The more the more people you put in there, the more average you're going to get. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I um, I think it said in the uh, the report that they're still analysing like the kind of the whys behind it, why, why sh- these yeah. things shifted. Um, I mean, me, if, if I was just putting my finger in the air and be like, mm, okay, why? Um, one thing is is that they said that there's a potential about just, you know, remote working and like a long time after, you know, sort of COVID stuff that it's put an impact on things. But, yeah. I mean, to me, that, that doesn't ring true so much because I feel that it's, You've had to mature your practices so much to support remote work. Yep. Um, I wonder if it's just yeah, merely a matter of the fact that the Dora report has sort of grown in popularity, so more companies are benchmarking themselves as a before they do anything sort of things, like a before and after. Um, that's that's my kind of gut feel, but it remains to see when the uh, the full report comes out and a bit more analysis around it. But yeah, and. And I think this is a point you made out to me earlier. It's like early on, you know, 2018, I think this has started. Uh, it would have been all the propeller heads that were involved <laughs> in in the in this, right? And they would have been the ones that were interested in it. Therefore, you would imagine it would be people obtaining a high or elite score. Yeah, more that, people that would be my uh, <laughs> that would be my expectation. And, yeah. Yeah, and as we go on, there are more companies getting involved and they aren't, aren't so adept at it. Uh, and you've got that regression to the mean phenomena. So you end up with a bigger group in the medium. Yeah, definitely, right? You, you probably, yeah. back in 2018, you got way more like born in the cloud natives and they're going to yeah. be higher up on the Just by nature, you're going to have less baggage. You've got less legacy uh, code bases that you're pulling around. Not none, but less. Um, whereas... Uh, as it sort of spreads into wider enterprise and you start going further back into mainframe systems, that's probably going to drag your score down. <laughs> yeah, it's going to drag your score down. I uh, like this quote here. One thing we found surprising was that the biggest predictor of organizations' software security practice was cultural, not technical. High trust, low blame cultures focused on performance were significantly more likely to adopt emerging security practices than low-trust, high-blame cultures focused on power or rules. And that really comes back to uh, the generative cultures within companies. Mm. Right? This is, yeah. uh, you know, we'll touch on this a little bit later on when we talk a bit more about the, the what is DevOps stuff, but it's a, yep. it's a big one, right? The cultural shift is, is key. Yeah, and 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 one of the tables I've got in this article, we'll links in the show notes. Um, the high performers, you would you would need on demand multiple deploys per day. Um, you know, lead lead time for changes between one day and one week. Um, time to restore less than one day. Change rate is zero to fifteen percent. Now, all of that to me, reading between the lines, there that. To enable that to happen means that the management trusts their staff, mm-hmm. trust their staff to, to do the right thing, and, and and the big the big teller there is the lead time. If if a company starts having a lot of outages and uh, they are running into a lot of problems, the knee jerk reaction is, well, we'll add more lead time to it, It'll allow us to check more, or we're right. going to change freeze. We're in a change freeze. We're not going to make any change, which is the opposite of what you want, right? <laughs> so everything then, is just going to ossify just a little bit more. 
Yep, and it's been going, then you're going to move into this low category here, which is between you make changes between once per month and once every six months. Yeah, that's your big release. Uh, you're going to have you're going to have long lead times between one month and six months. Yep, everyone, uh, we have to work to all weekend, one week to one month, <laughs> and change failure rate forty to sixty percent. Boy, boy, I would not want to work for that company. <laughs> <laughs> How is that like? So you know, twice a year you do a release. And at least half Ouch. of those times, it's failed and has to roll back. Like, that's, a, that's a terrible it existence. It'll take you up to a month to roll it back. <laughs> yeah, no thanks. No. No. So, um, I would imagine that would be a low-trust environment, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. DevOps is a, um, a shining light on the hill. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Way to get away from that. Um, so the link I'll give you in the show notes is a great summary of it. There is a link to the full report, um, be some nice bedtime reading. Uh, and there's also another article that I'll link in there um, from a company by the name of uh, Cybersecurity Dive. Uh, and they point out um, a few brief items Um and they say organizations that use automated tools to develop and integrate applications on a consistent basis are more likely to have mature security practices. Um, so they're coming from a security angle. Security was a big part of this Dora report. Um, the combined practice of CI and CD is a leading indicator of an organization's ad- adoption of advanced practices. Okay, we know that. Uh, nearly two-thirds of respondents said CICD was very or completely established in their organisation. So it's quite high when you think about it. Mm. By extension, the majority of respondents reported guidance in the supply chain levels for software architect frameworks and the National uh, National Institute of Standards and Technology Secure Software Development Framework are established within their organisation. So... Um, yeah, they're, so they're saying that, uh, you know, two-thirds have got that as well, so nice. Yeah, for sure. Well, the thing is, once you've got that in place, right, once you're doing CICD, then you can start adding additional steps into your pipelines, right? Like, it's not that hard to, once you've mm. got the bones, to go, okay, let's add a step in here for, um, okay, we're going to, uh, I don't know, we put Sonar Cube in there to do some scanning, uh, or we're going to do some container uh, vulnerability analysis. You can add all those yep. things yep. really easily, uh, and it just lifts your security posture up so much. Yeah, yeah, because I've seen it before, right? Like long, long time before CICD came along, it's like, right, we're going to have this process now. We're going to do, we're going to do checking of you know all of these bits of code before they go. We're going to do some sort of check. We're going to do some sort of scan or some sort of patch before every change goes out. No. Nah. Like it, it might last for a couple of weeks, then it just gets forgotten about, and everyone goes back to what they were doing before. Yeah, it's like, oh, but I don't have time. Uh, we're uh, we've got a crisis. I've, I'll just push this one little one into prod. Just like, push this one thing. It'll be oh, fine. Someone says, "Oh, can we just not do that now? This is an emergency." Yeah, yeah it's like, well, you'll need it. your director to sign off on it. That's okay. He's signed off. Oh, okay, all right, off we go. Yeah, yeah, and it gets signed off on, it gets bypassed. So what was the point of the whole thing in the first place? But you're right, if you've got CICD and you, once you put it in code in CICD, it's there for perpetuity. Another thing that you can do once you've got your CICD pipeline in place is that you can change where you want to deploy your code to and maybe you want to deploy that to Cloud Run. Of course, having your Cloud Run instance yeah. start up could be a little bit slow. It would be a little bit slow. Unless you use faster cold starts with Startup Boost, 
That's a good segue. We are the Segway Kings. <laughs> that that, that yeah, was version point eight of our Segway. <laughs> we'll be working on that. Google Cloud has announced new startup CPU boost improves cold startups in Cloud Run Cloud Functions. This is cool, and I, I I've actually got a use case for this. Yes, you do. That is more or less in place right now. I had the devil's own treat during the fortnight because. Uh, you may have noticed we've moved the GCP Life website onto the new Casner website, and unfortunately, the way the website's designed now is not was not compatible with the um, podcast plugin that I was using. So I went ahead and I developed some code that runs in a cloud function that uh, just does our RSS feed for us for the show. And you'll be if you're listening to this, then you would have picked this show up from that function, uh, all running in Google Cloud, of course. Um, now the thing is, the thing that I noticed is, uh, if you run it, um, just continually run it, it, get, it responds back with the, with the RSS feed in about sort of 1.5 seconds. And the reason it takes that long is because it's got to pull some metadata from the bucket and, and sort of build things dynamically. And, and that's fine. It, it, you know, Spotify, iTunes, and Google all seem to be happy with that. But if it's been stopped for a while and you go to hit it and run it again, it can take eight or nine seconds to respond. And that's because it's a cold startup. And that's what this new feature saves, prevents. Indeed. Yeah. And like previously, you could speed things up a little bit by, you know, going to a larger size, you can throw some more resources at it, but then you're paying for it on every invocation and for the whole time. That's right. Yep. Uh a cold start is a latency encounter at the pressing of request, the processing of a request that is due to the startup of a new container instance to serve the request. So that initial startup. Um, if you enable this thing, this um, uh, cold startup feature, uh, some workloads the startup time can be cut in half, so you can get up to fifty percent uh, faster for Spring Pet Clinic. Uh, sample app that that google has provided and they in this article they they give some uh, examples here yeah i think they go like um, node.js uh on average like a 30 percent faster startup time yeah 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 uh these these two spring examples were like around 50 percent and uh java cloud functions 23 percent so it's still in beta uh you just enable it with a gcloud beta command and you'll get the option to enable a checkbox to turn on startup CPU boost, and that's it. You're done. Yeah, a bit of re- extra well, resources at the beginning, and then off it goes. Yeah, what would it be doing under the hood? Oh, I think it's just, just dynamically giving you more CPU, right? Oh, that's what it's doing at the start. Right, okay. Yeah. Gives you more cores at the start, and then once it's up and running, it winds it back down. Yeah, I think so, hmm. yeah. Yeah. Or it gives you more shares of a CPU when it's coming up. Doesn't Whatever it does, does it? great. <laughs> it works. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, uh, I haven't turned it on just yet for my cloud function, but um, yeah, you might give it a go. Yeah. yeah. It turns out it's not really necessary because between Google Podcasts, iTunes, and Spotify, they're constantly polling it anyway. So it's it's alive all the time. Uh, so it's not really necessary in my case. Right. 
All right, cool. Let's move on to the next item. We have uh, connecting workload VMs to Dell PowerScale. Yeah, so this yeah. was one that uh, popped up, and obviously we we do a fair bit of uh, VMware engine stuff, and I've been following the storage side of that for a while, um, mm. and it has been for a while that you've been able to use NetApp Cloud Volumes, and you can attach that um, that ONTAP-based storage, still hosted in GCP, but you could connect that over to your VMs in GCBE. Um, now they are supporting um, Dell PowerScale as a as a storage uh, service for it, which is great. Why would you use one or the other, NetApp or Dell PowerStore? Yeah, so between using, uh, I suppose it might depend on what sort of services you are most comfortable with. Like if you're coming from a traditional on-prem side of things and both have significant penetration in the on-prem market um the power scale one seems to tout some pretty high performance numbers um Mm. so what am i seeing here so yeah scale out capacity up to 50 pebibytes pebibytes (laughs) in a single name i'm not the biggest fan of these terms (laughs) Pebby bytes, bytes. single name space, yeah. Uh, and scale out performance up to 97 megabytes per second per tibibytes. 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 Which is great, right? And uh, yeah, hands off the complete lifecycle management of the environment to, to Dell, right? Which is it's the same as yeah. like NetApp's doing. You're getting uh, sort of their appliances, their storage. You're not having to manage it anymore. Yeah, that really does seem like the use case for this, doesn't it? High performance. Really um, is, yeah. They're, they're, yeah, they're, they're saying for AI and ML workloads, this is the way to go. Yeah, and it's um, I mean, it's predominantly presenting a like a file share protocol, so it's either you know NFS or SMB, right? So I don't see like any iSCSI here for, for block storage. It's still coming out as a filer. Um, but you know, anything gives you more options to expand storage in – well. Okay, I say GCVE, but you can use this with Compute Engine or anything else as well. So, mm, like that, mm, that, anything that just mount the NFS or Samba. Yeah, yeah, correct. So it's that's still a good uh, use case in general, especially if you're moving into GCVE as a kind of first migration before you move your data out somewhere else. Like you can put it in, put it onto PowerScale or ONTAP, and then you can mount that storage to Compute Engine or wherever else you're going to need it. Just flicking through the documentation here, it's got some documentation on the PowerScale administration web UI. So, yeah, again, if you're familiar with PowerScale, you want the same experience and when you move to cloud, this is the way to go. You can have it. You can have it, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? All these vendors scrambling to sort of find relevance in a cloud-enabled world. For sure. Because if, if you know, the likes of NetApp, VMware and Dell didn't do this... And, uh, you know, your hyperscalers were just using all their custom ASIC and, and custom-built systems. Well, those vendors are just ultimately end up pushed out of it, right? Yeah, yeah it's 100% the case, right? You've got to mm. uh, adapt. And I think for a lot of these vendors, these traditional enterprise vendors, um, then that's it's given them a way forward, right? Especially... You know, from okay, plenty of enterprise businesses that are going to be doing their cloud migrations. It's like, well, we can give your 
you know, your team of storage engineers supporting your, your global infrastructure that know how to manage Dell. Yeah, right. They They're the guys that know how to do it, right? Yeah. And yep. we can give them storage that they know how to interact with and how to treat uh, without having to completely replace them with cloud engineers, or at least it gives them something that they can start working on this while they learn to become cloud engineers. Mm-hmm. So, another tool in the toolbox. Another tool in the toolbox, exactly. Speaking of no- tools in the toolbox, um, I really like this next item. Uh, introducing Workforce Identity Federation um, to easily manage wo- workforce access to Google Cloud. Now, I played around with uh, GCDS, uh, Google Cloud Directory Sync, and uh, the idea of that was to take, say, your Active Directory synchronize it and then make it available to IAM uh, so that you could authenticate to IAM using your identity from um, from from your from your your, your AD or your LDAP service right. right but you had to maintain that synchronization you had you to had, keep that copy you had to maintain that synchronization and security people didn't like it because it was the, it was synchronizing data outside of their environment uh, this new tool, Workforce Identity Federation, gets rid of all that, right? Rather than syncing, it federates, and it's all done with a token. So you log in to your identity provider, uh, a token is generated, uh, and that is uh, passed on to Workforce Identity, which returns a Google token, and then that token from Google permits you to connect to the Google project or via the IAM. Um, and no need to manage a separate GCDS instance. If you, if you go looking in the Terraform module register, you'll find a module that I created that tried <laughs> to spin it up. And it, it, it's, it was so ugly. You had to, it was a, um, an X desktop thing. And you had to go in and configure it in, in this, this, uh, Java, this Java GUI thing. Oh, no. Um, yeah, no, it wasn't nice at all. <laughs> um, this, this does away with all that and just federates your external, Identity identity directory with IAM. Now you can use it with other directories as well. Um, they mention Okta um, and you know um, a few other. Um, few other they, they specifically mention Okta in the in the video that uh, is on the on the site. Um, but um, I, without mentioning Active Directory, this is clearly what this is aimed at. I am. Oh, here we go. Yep. You can use uh, Workforce Identity Federation with any IDP that supports OpenID Connect or SAML2, such as Azure Active Directory, Active Directory Federation Services, Okta, and others. There you go. There you go. Yep. Yeah, SAML2. Yep. Yeah. That's. That's excellent. So this will be the way forward, indeed. About time they had this. Yeah, so that is Workforce Identity Federation. Link in the show notes. Now, this next one is something you brought to me, Dave, um, and I don't even pretend to understand this. <laughs> <laughs> Introducing Ambient Mesh. What is this all okay, about? Okay, all right, all right, all right. So this one came to my awareness because I was listening to the very excellent Kubernetes podcast from mm. Google. Uh, and yep. they had on these two developers who are part of the Istio uh, project. So Istio is 
service mesh provider on Kubernetes or one of. And the interesting thing about the way, and for the listeners or whether or not they're uh, interested in Kubernetes or service meshes at all, but the way um, Istio works inside of uh, your Kubernetes environment is it creates these sidecar proxies, uh, sorry, um, sidecar containers, right? So you'll have a, a pod that's like the smallest unit of, uh, of of what you can sort of deal with in in Kubernetes. Um, it might be your you know your your Nginx pod or <laughs> whatever Nginx container running inside a pod, but you can have a, a sidecar container inside, right? So you can say like, all right, Nginx, uh, you send your traffic out of localhost. Sidecar proxies there, and it handles all that, does all that that traffic for you. Um, the downside of this, of having to manage all these sidecars, um, is that it's a little bit invasive, right? So it's helpful for some applications that you know don't support MTLS. For um, you know, encrypted traffic, um, you can put these sidecars in place, and you sort of gain that functionality. Um, but it's a little invasive because you have to modify the Kubernetes pod spec and redirect traffic within the pod. Um, so yeah, the, the downside really is that installing or upgrading the sidecars requires restarting the application pod. So depending on how your application is, if you've got a stateful workload, you might actually have a little bit of impact there. Um, another big one that they're trying to solve is underutilization of resources. So because the sidecar proxy is dedicated to the associated workload, the CPU and memory resources that it needs have to be provisioned for the worst case usage. Uh, and that can lead to large reservations that lead to underutilization. So this is one of the things that they're trying to solve, right? They're also... If you have a non-compliant HTTP stack, right, things just <laughs> things just can't maybe won't behave properly. Um, so, at a, at a high level, the here comes Istio Ambient Mesh. So, instead of having sidecars and managing sidecars, Ambient Mesh deploys a a waypoint proxy into the namespace. All right, so this is this is very new. It's experimental right now, mm. and to me, this harkens back to like the days of you know our on-prem infrastructure with all that traffic has to go through a firewall. Mm. Um, and this to is kind out. of that, yeah. right? It's just um, we're putting in your namespace a waypoint proxy, and all the traffic in and out of that namespace will go through that. And then there's uh, encrypted traffic uh, using Z tunnels that goes between the pods themselves and sources and destinations. So it's, this is new. Uh, it, it'd be worth playing around with. Um, I don't know if you're able to enable this on GKE yet. Uh, and it remains to be seen if this is going to be uh, a full replacement for the sidecar pattern, which you know, has served well for a number of years. Um, this might just be like an alternative way of doing it, depending on what your your particular use case is, whether you want to have a distributed mesh or um or not. But it's it's a big change, um, and it's uh it's pretty funky. In fact, actually, the the two developers who were working on it sort of come from a, a network virtualization space. I think they actually did a fair bit with um with VMware before coming over to the Kubernetes project. 
Right. I'm reading here the Z Tunnel performs no layer 7 processing on workload traffic, making it significantly leaner than sidecars. Okay. So it's almost like you've got a little VPN between them all, and it's just got this little encrypted tunnel where they just pass packets backwards and forwards. Is that is that sort of the Yeah, I think so, without logic? having to do all the termination stuff. Yeah, yeah. Performs no level set because if you've got a proxy, of course, you've got to terminate and then set up another session. You've got to hate, you've got to connect and then do another session. Um, so you get rid of all that and just allow it to go through these Z tunnels. Hmm. Yeah. So, as I said, early days. Um, be very keen to see how this evolves as a, a pattern going forward. Hmm. It will be, yeah. Okay. Link in the show notes for that one. Um, Let's move on. And uh, Dave, we've got a list. We've got a list, Dave. A list. I hate a list. We should we should never <laughs> have lists on the show. <laughs> should never have half lists. the show is gone. No more lists. <laughs> we, we 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 all know that Google Google uh, deprecated IoT IoT Core. Core recently, and we mentioned it on the show. Uh, there's a company called. Uh, a website called IoT for All, and they specialise in IoT. Um, and they've uh, created this article here where we have a list of five things, and they're saying five reasons why Google Cloud is still the best cloud for IoT, even without IoT Core. That's interesting. Um, they go on to say uh, Google Cloud is adopting an open, partner-led strategy to IoT that mirrors their approach to many of their other cloud services. So moving away from proprietary things like IoT Core. In fact, uh, at Leverage, we still believe that Google Cloud is the best cloud for IoT applications, and here are five reasons why. Now, I'm not going to read all the the points on all five reasons, but we'll just go through them quickly. Uh, Unrivaled security. Well, that goes without saying, especially with things like the Mandiant acquisition recently uh, and Google amping up their security posture uh, across all their products. Um, I think it's a hands down, there's no argument there, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, leading AI and ML products, right? So I guess uh, if you're using IoT, AI and ML is going to be a big part of it, right? You're going to want to do something with all the data you can collect it. And um, Google's the place to I do it. I don't think there's <laughs> Google's place to do that. I don't think there's any argument there either, right? Next one I found interesting, lowest costs. Hmm. Okay, so this is talking uh, more about their own particular – the company who wrote this article, right? Their own stack, I think. Well, the leverage IoT stack is sophisticated, yeah, but they do go on to say, since the operating cost of IoT solutions is often the biggest inhibitor to scale, keeping infrastructure costs low unlocks many cases that might have not been too expensive to automate. Um Oh, gotcha, right. I think what in, in the article, they're sort of talking about the fact that their stack is, has been deployed in a lot of places, and so they've got real-world usage data, and they reckon that yeah, Google's the that's cheapest right. I think, I think that, and I think they're specifically referring to the fact that when you do scale it on Google, um, the, the costs are the, it's the best outcome. Right. Uh, we know from direct experience that no cloud is more reliable and less expensive to operate at scale than Google Cloud. Probably consuming a whole bunch of spot VMs in there. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. 
It's absolutely spot VMs, right? So they're saying it's just the cheapest at scale. Uh, data resiliency. So here they're talking about the global fibre backbone, um, the 9.11 resiliency that you get on Google Cloud buckets. Oh, sorry, the 11 nines. Nines resiliency. <laughs> 11 nines. I don't know if I want Sound one, like one, one, Star one, Trek one, one. resiliency. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The 11 nines of resiliency that you get on Google Cloud storage buckets. Um, and, of course, the global reach that, you know, uh, the premium network has. Uh, and the location services, right? Really important for IoT. We've got millions of IoT boxes everywhere. You're going to need where they, need to know where they are. Uh, you've got Google Maps and Google Earth uh, for indoor and outdoor visualization um, of the data. And I, I think that's kind of like the, the the big player in Google Space, right? Is there's just so many uh, complementary services, so that you know you could kind of replace this. You could replace this article instead of it being like, oh, it's the best place for your IoT stuff. You could be for any number of things. And just the fact that you can consume so many other leading services, like the AIML stuff, like no any use case, you'll be able to find something in there. And having yeah. your environment co-located and all, all that data accessible rapidly, you know, big query <laughs> plugged into everything. Um, yeah. It's just, it's just such a competitive ecosystem. And that's it. It's about the ecosystem, right? It's that gestalt, gestalt entity where everything combined just makes the sum of it worth more yeah. than the individual components. Yeah. All right, cool. That's our list for the episode. Last week, we introduced a new item called What Is It? Um I did my breakdown on what an OKR is, and I went away and I, I used some of that information. I, I redeveloped some of the OKRs for our one of our internal teams. I have to say, they looked really good and, too. Well, thank you. Yeah, yeah they. It, 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 it's just I had I had to simplify that, right? And it, having it clear in my mind really helps simplifying that. And uh, I think it's it's going to help us really kick some of them. I mean, you saw how many things are on that in that Trello board now, right? <laughs> it's really gone up, so we can really track some of those things now, yeah, which is really good. Seeing cards move through from left to right, it's great. Yeah. But this week, uh, Dave, you're going to give us a breakdown on what is DevOps. Yeah, and I didn't want to turn this into, like, a lecture, right? Because it's it's huge, right? <laughs> like, DevOps is yeah. it's a big thing, right? But, you know, what is it? Is it, uh, um, okay, I use, I use Python to manage my infrastructure? Is that it? No. Probably not it. Uh, is it? Uh, it's at Kubernetes. Must be Kubernetes. Kubernetes stuff. It's definitely DevOps. No, <laughs> it's not Kubernetes. Um, <laughs> it must be automation. But well, as Christopher Little, it's part of it. Yeah, it's part of it. But as Christopher Little, research director at Gartner, puts it, or he put it quite a few years back, but DevOps isn't about automation, just as astronomy isn't about telescopes. <laughs> Right, so one is very helpful with the other, but it's not the reason. Um, so, like, what is it then, right? Like, so Atlassian has it defined quite nicely on their side as as a a set of practices, tools, and a cultural philosophy that automate and integrate the processes between software development and IT team. And for me, it's that it's that last one, right? It's that 
cultural philosophy is like the biggest part of DevOps that, that really speaks to me, right? It speaks to a world where developers can fulfill their goal of rapidly delivering the features and changes that the business requires and delivering value that way without crashing against the operations department's desire of having uh, stable platforms and not getting paged at 3 a.m. on a Sunday <laughs> with a P1 incident, right? And those, those two are usually in, comp- in competition, right? They're in, they're in two different silos and they've got very different performance goals, right? But an infrastructure team... The, 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 the yeah. Developers are focusing on new features. They just want to, they, they've got to deliver those new features. They don't want right. new features. They want stability, yeah. right? The, yeah. The operations team yeah. doesn't want to have that code deployed. <laughs> they don't, if you change it, you'll break it. <laughs> and that's, yep. that's true. But we also, if we don't change, we ossify and we, get, you know, we become fragile. So right. an infrastructure team that embraces DevOps can work towards eliminating toil removing the day-to-day grunt work that like slowly grinds us all down and frees you up to be able to like improve the service and yourself. So this is only like a short which makes you, which makes you more engaged, right? 100%, right? You can do more yeah, interesting yeah, work, yeah. right? This isn't about yeah. uh oh, we're going to do devops because we can now uh you know, we can maybe we can get rid of a couple of people Right, we, if we automate like we've got a team of ten guys. What about if we mm. we automate some things? We could probably get rid of like three people, but that that's not the case, right? That's <laughs> it's just about shifting you from being a cost center to being uh you know a, a key part of the value delivery for the company, right? Mm. So like yeah, you can you can spend all day increasing uh the hard drive space of a you know, CentOS VM that ran out and caused Like, you can do that if you want to. Or you can sort of, you can go on the journey, the DevOps journey, and, uh, you know, you, you'll, you'll, you'll buy a lot of time back in your day. You'll get rid of that grunt work. Right? Mm. That's the, you'll, you'll find new and interesting challenges and you'll be better for it, right? Um, so yeah, like this is only like a short segment, right? We don't, we don't have a three hour lecture to go into, so I'm not going to like deep dive into what are the three ways of DevOps, right? Like you can read up on that yourself, yeah. but at a high level, it is about breaking down the silos between development and operations. Um, it helps improve the rate of change while significantly improving reliability, right? You're having your cake and you're eating it. Um, you're moving from a world where software releases are big, scary, rare occurrences, right? Like that, those low performers in the Dora report that we spoke about earlier mm, mm. to one where small deployments to production can happen many times a day without an operations person ever needing to log into a server, right? It just happened around you. The, uh, I don't know what the, the term for it is. It's the, the, the cycle of pain and suffering, the, uh, the, t- the deployment cycle of pain and suffering, <laughs> the every step that's required to get this application to production. Is, is painful, yeah. Where it should just become a, a regular occurrence. It should just be mundane, really. 100%. It should just be day-to-day, yeah. Yeah, and then, like, when you get to that space, then you're not having to do your changes on a Saturday night. It's like, no, you can probably do it, like, 11 a.m. on a Tuesday. It's fine. Yep. Um, yeah, push out this small change. Oops, it hasn't worked. Click a button, it's back. Yeah, oh, we've done a blue green deployment. Seconds, yeah. That's fine. Cut the other way. Yeah. Like this, 
there's yep. so many cool and interesting things that you'll you'll be able to do when you go down on this journey, right? So like a DevOps team is multidisciplinary, right? So it's not you don't just take your IT organization and say, oh cool, this uh this team of guys who manage the uh, on-prem infrastructure, are oh, they now a DevOps team? Because we changed their titles in the HR system, right? And I, you know, we've all known plenty of organisations that have done that. Oh, here's your, you've all got new titles. You're now DevOps engineers. Congratulations. <laughs> I, was like, uh, I think I was a, I was a Windows administrator for thirty years. Um, it's like, oh no, you're a DevOps engineer. Oh, oh okay, thanks. Okay, Terraform. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Yeah, no. um, so yeah. It, like it, that team will be made up of people from varied backgrounds. Uh, generally, they'll be able to take accountability for like the whole life cycle of a product. So from writing the code, uh, seeing it deployed to prod, ensuring it's monitored, uh, responding to incidents. It's like that, that build it, run it mindset. Um, and by pulling the team together, by pulling both your dev and ops side together, it aligns their incentives, right? So they've got the incentive to deliver code, quality code, quickly. But the people cutting that code are the same people getting the calls if it falls over. <laughs> um, so they definitely like they, they'll feel the pain if they're uh, you know, mm. they're not putting their right unit tests in place. They're you know, if you're cutting, taking shortcuts there, you're hurting your own team. So the, the feedback loop is is really important in there. Um, and like like on the infrastructure side, right? You're in that team. You've got incentives to be able to like deliver the infrastructure pieces. Like you might be working on a card to build out a new container spec or something, right? So uh, you want to deliver that as quickly as possible because you don't become a blocker for your own team, right? The people who are in your stand-up. Um, and, like, it also helps that, like, many of the best tools and systems that, like, help you manage your platforms as, as an infrastructure guy, um, like, they really shine when you start to use them the way a developer would, right? So working alongside developers, you get to learn a whole bunch of stuff, right? So your operations people get to learn how to use, like, Git and you know any kind of like mm. source control and uh, even just practices like uh, like you know extreme programming or pair programming like working alongside someone um, like these are all really good practices um, and they're fun for an infrastructure person to to get on that journey mm. with right and I think from the developer side you get a bit more of that that empathy with the people actually have to run the platform after you've deployed. Yeah. Or or the hey, hang on a minute, that's not gonna work when you put it into a real network. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that, yeah. that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Um so yeah, it's definitely like they're complementary skills, right? So you can have I like to think of it a bit of a spectrum thing, right? So you'll have uh, a DevOps team and you'll have some people who are like big D DevOps and some people are big O DevOps. Like you're all in the same team, you've got like biases one way or the other, but you're working together. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, you know, if you, if you are an infrastructure person, you've started to, you know, get comfortable with like VS code and you've learned how to use GitHub and, um, that, that's really helpful when you want to start doing infrastructure as code, right? Like Terraform works way better if it's in source control. 
you just described my entire career in one sentence, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's baby steps, right? You, you learn a little piece and then it all goes together, right? And it's, it's, it's the same for me, Becky. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and, and, like, don't get me wrong, that can be hard. Like, if you've been a, a tr- traditional ops person, you've never, besides maybe like a PowerShell script or something, you haven't done any coding, like, it can be a bit to, uh, to sort of go on that journey. But yeah, if you, if you're like a click opsy kind of ops person, I was a Unix guy, so you know, scripting and bashing <laughs> was, was very familiar to me. But it's a bit different, yeah. But if, yeah, absolutely. If you're just a, a click opsy type, it could be very intimidating. Oh, I can imagine for sure. Um, and uh, I mean, uh, yeah, sidetracked a little bit there, but you know, we've seen it with like previous projects, right? Where we've shown uh, teams that had like a click ops kind of Windows or VMware admin person who used to just click their way around. Uh, and you say like, hey, check out how we can manage all of these things with Terraform. Oh, you want to, you know, deploy like 50 things? No worries. It's like, I'll change a couple of lines here and we go Terraform apply. Done. Done. Yep. Oh, we didn't name them correctly. Oh, give me a sec. Search and replace. Uh, apply. Done. <laughs> Applying it. Then. <laughs> like. Oh, geez. Like, how much time do you get back in your day? <laughs> yeah. Or uh, that NSXT thing we did. Oh, we put all the, we put 16 networks under the wrong router, changed the router, boom, flipped them all over, and no one noticed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Impactless, right? So, uh, impactless, yep. yeah. It's definitely, um, if you, once you're doing IAC, you know, infrastructure as code, uh, and, and you're in the cloud, like you, consuming you're not just say spinning up a vm on vmware like okay i want any kind of service that i want to be able to consume in my uh, my cloud provider or multiple cloud providers then uh, you know you're off to the races then right so where does that leave sre right so is is sre in like competition with devops no like it's I think we'll have to actually do like a an, what is SRE segment because it, it is a question that yeah. comes up um, like in a future episode of the show. But at a high level, like SRE is just a practical way, it's the Google way uh, of implementing the DevOps philosophy. All right. So they, they, they term it as uh, in the programming kind of joke, right? Of class SRE implements interface DevOps. <laughs> so. <laughs> DevOps kind of sets okay. to see <laughs> SRE is how you can actually implement. It's not the only way to do it, but you know it's a pretty good basis, right? So if I want to find out a bit more, where do I go? Right. What do I do? So depending on how much of a you know how far you want to go on the rabbit hole, right? If you kind of want to start at the beginning, uh, you could read the goal or listen to the the audio book of uh, the goal by Eliyahu Goldratt. Uh, so. That book's like a fictional setting in a manufacturing plant in the 80s. This is like an old book, but it was all about like the, the Toyota production system. And it's sort of the, mm. it's kind of like the, the guy who bought like lean manufacturing and those concepts to like uh, US automotive and, and really like pretty much all manufacturing is based off lean nowadays. Um, but, uh, you know, it, the, the people in the story, like even if you don't come from a manufacturing background, you can kind of get what's going on. So talking about the constraints, moving things through the factory. Um, and it's the inspiration for the next book, which is The Phoenix Project by Gene Kim, uh, Kevin Baer and, and George Spafford. So if you're still in traditional IT, 
uh, this book will change your life, right? <laughs> it's it's another fictional setting, but this time it's in the uh, the IT department of a manufacturing company. Uh, a bit of a trigger warning for like long suffering IT folk, right? The there are incidents and like like terse meetings and things that happen in this book that like you will have been in that meeting. Like I was like, listening to him, like <laughs> I have been in this call. I know all these people, so oh, I can see myself in that person. Oh, I can also see myself in the villain a few times. Right? There's, it, it speaks to that, right? Um, and it really, it, it sort of it takes the protagonist on a on a journey through the the three ways of DevOps, right? Uh, to a better way, how to improve your organization and yourself. Um, and the the companion book to that is the DevOps Handbook. Right. Um, it has so it came out I think slightly afterwards, but it's by the same people. Uh, and it has real world case studies and examples of how organisations can uh, can implement the three waves. Goes um, a bit of the, bit of the history there and like the, the real background of it. Um, and then yeah, if you're looking for like SRE stuff, you've got uh, the Google SRE book as well. Uh, that's available online for free at sre.google. Uh, and uh, they they term it in there that that SRE is what happens when developers have to design and operate an engineering function. And that's all well worth doing. There's also some pretty great courses as well. Um, if you're looking for certs, like the GCP DevOps one is, is nice. It's heavily SRE focused. Um, yes. But yeah. Yeah, I've read those SRE books there. At the end, I, I recommend them. Yeah, it really is, especially because like, it's practical and you can sort of see how they built out their infrastructure at Google. It's really clever. Uh, that's right. You get a little sneak behind, peek behind the curtain, don't you? With those, <laughs> yeah, you do. Yeah. How they built out the data centers and everything. Oh, oh yeah, the whole different yeah. scale. All right, Dave. Well, thanks for that. It's a good breakdown of what DevOps is. Um, I will link. I'll see how I go. I can link uh, link those books in the show notes. I guess they're on Amazon. I'll link them there and find them and link them in Amazon. Yeah, I think actually uh, we, all three of those before the SRE book I listened uh, to on Audible the first time around. I had on Audible, were they? Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Right. Well, I think that brings us to the end of the show for this week. Uh, next week, we want to do a one-year anniversary special. Yay! So make sure you stay tuned for that. We're going to we're gonna get the band back together. Um, and we, uh, I'll keep, I'll keep it uh, close to my chest what's going to happen. But, um, yeah, it's one not to miss, and, um, yeah, it should be fun. But, uh, yeah, right now I have to uh, make an apology. If you are subscribed on uh, Google Podcasts, you may find that you have to resubscribe again. I had a problem, as I mentioned earlier, there was a problem with the feed and I had to reset that. Um, but uh, no, it shouldn't be a drama if you're on Spotify or iTunes, and you can listen directly off the website as well. Um, of course, go to iTunes, write the show a review. Uh, you can find us, you can email us gcplife at casino.com.au. We've got the Twitter there, gcplife. Uh, I usually cross-post these when the show comes out on LinkedIn, so you'll find it there. Uh, the website's all nice and new and shiny, and you'll see some nice photos of myself and Dave <laughs> right up there. Our front handsome and selves. 
<laughs> Handsome Cells, that's right. And of course, today's sponsor was Kazna. At Kazna, we make your Google Cloud solution possible. I think that's about it for me, Dave. Um, you got anything else to add? No, I think I've, I've probably bored everyone to death with my DevOps stuff. So, uh... <laughs> oh, man, that was great. <laughs> I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, it's all in the edit, mate. It's all in the edit. <laughs> yeah, very nice. <laughs> Just get dropped that whole right, segment. We'll, <laughs> we'll catch you in two weeks. Bye. Catch you later. Bye. Bonky, right? (laughs) Bonky. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's right.